And could you please turn back with me to Acts chapter 8? Acts chapter 8, and we're looking at verses 26 to 40. in you would have received this outline and inside there are a number of things but there's also printed in the outline there is a outline of the sermon so it would be helpful to have that there as well I'll lead us in prayer our Father we do indeed pray that we would have the mind of Christ our Saviour we pray that your spirit would be renewing our minds so that we uh, have attitudes uh, that conform to that of Jesus. We pray that he'd be doing that now as we read your word, as we consider it together, uh, so that uh, what we read would certainly impact uh, what, how we live. We ask this Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever felt unwanted? You felt left out? You felt different from everyone else in a way that, that leaves you isolated or excluded? Today we're reading about someone who was different and so had been excluded, was included. And how God went to some extraordinary measures to make sure that we knew it was from Him. Last week we saw Philip. One of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem was in Samaria preaching the gospel. He was there because the church in Jerusalem had been scattered by the persecution. Now Philip's ministry in Samaria had been incredibly fruitful. Huge numbers of Samaritans had turned to Christ. And when the apostles came from Jerusalem, God had poured out his spirit upon them. Many, many people were coming under the kingship of Jesus through the pioneer work of Philip in Samaria. But then God tells him to leave all that. He sends an angel with a message, go. And the place that he tells him to go is an empty place. There's no one there, no no potential evangelistic work to be done. It's a desert. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. That is a desert place. You can see the desert place on the map. If you can can just see the map, I think. You can't see the pointer. Okay. Um, It's getting a little bit clearer. There we go. There's Jerusalem. They went up up to Samaria. And uh, you can see that dotted line across to Gaza. That's the road to Gaza. Yeah, if you could. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. There we go, there's Jerusalem. Uh, there's the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, so he comes all the way down from Samaria to, to that road. All right. So, when an angel appears to you and tells you to do something, then you do it, don't you? Even if it doesn't seem like a good idea. Even if it means leaving a thriving ministry in Samaria. Well, you wouldn't go unless God gave you special instructions like this, would you? Well, the angel comes to Philip, tells him to leave, and verse 26, end of verse, uh, sorry, beginning of verse 27, he rose and went. He didn't know why 
But he did it in obedience to God's command. In the meantime, Luke introduces another figure in the second part of verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Right throughout the passage, we are never given this man's name. He's just a eunuch, or the eunuch. It's because that's the thing that Luke, that the writer of Acts, wants to stress about him. That's the thing he wants us to remember when we come to this passage. He's a eunuch. That's the most significant thing about him here, because as far as the point that Luke wants to make from this account, it rests on the fact that he's a eunuch. Now, the word eunuch means someone who has been physically castrated. That is, a man who's had his testicles removed. A eunuch therefore lacks testosterone, which is produced in the testicles, and someone who is castrated before puberty will have a high voice, non-muscular build, small genitals, less aggression, and no sex drive. Very useful people to have as your servants, if you're a king or queen. And so eunuchs in those days often served in high positions, in royal courts. See, they could be trusted, you see, in those sensitive areas. They were less likely to attack the women of the court or seduce them. No one could say, oh, this child of so-and-so was from her courtier, if the, child, if, the, if the courtier was a eunuch. And since they didn't marry and have kids, and they weren't tempted to try and start their own dynasty. Less likely to rebel. So this eunuch, he was an official from the court of the Ethiopian queen. He was, verse 27, in charge of all her treasure. He was a very important man in Ethiopia, a trusted one. And this eunuch, we are told, came to Jerusalem to worship. Whether he was ethnically Jewish, or he was a convert to Judaism, or he was a God-fearer, we don't know. Luke doesn't seem to think it's important, and he doesn't tell us, so it can't be the, the key thing to this passage. But we do know that he believed in the God of Israel. He went to Jerusalem in Israel to worship God. But there was one problem, a big one. Eunuchs were not allowed in the temple. Have a look what the Old Testament says in Deuteronomy chapter 23. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. That's a bit rough, isn't it? Now, there was a reason for that in Old Testament law. Because the structures of the Old Testament were, were, were a model, a symbol of the reality that would come. God is perfect. His end time gathering in heaven will be perfect. And so anything that symbolizes imperfection cannot be something, part of something that is a symbol of perfection. And so here's a eunuch. A believer in the God of Israel. A worshipper of God. Who even made the effort all the way to go to Jerusalem to worship but is excluded from the assembly. Not considered part of the gathering of God's people. Maybe he knew before he went. Maybe he found out when he got there. But he was not fully accepted. And now, in verse 28, he was returning to Ethiopia, sitting in his chariot. And as he sat in his chariot, he wasn't bitter, he wasn't wasting time. 
He didn't have a CD player in his chariot. They didn't come standard in those days. So he couldn't listen to sermons or talks he downloaded from the internet. Instead, he was reading. Quite remarkable, really, because scrolls weren't cheap or easy to come by. He would have been reading aloud, because reading silently like we do now is very uncommon until the 10th century, a thousand years later. But what he was reading was the Old Testament scriptures. And in particular, in the verse 28, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here's Philip, walking down the desert road, wondering why the angel had sent him out of a hugely successful evangelistic ministry in Samaria to come to this empty place. And there's the eunuch, sitting at the back of his BMW chariot, reading Isaiah to himself. Now perhaps he pulled over for something at the time, because in verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. We don't know how the Spirit spoke to him, but it would have been very obvious to to Philip that this was the voice of God. And so Philip went and did what he was told. He ran up to it, verse 30. And when he got there, he would have been amazed because in verse 30 again, verse, verse 30 again, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet, part of the Old Testament, written 600 years before Christ. Isaiah had some very, very important things to say about Jesus. And so Philip would have been really excited, wouldn't he? Now he knew why God had sent him to this empty place. And so he asked the eunuch at the end of verse 30, Do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what it means? And the eunuch didn't understand. How can I, he says in verse 31, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. We cannot really understand the Old Testament properly until we know about Jesus, can we? See, once you understand the Gospel of Jesus, then you go back and read the Old Testament, it makes sense. You can see the point, you know where it's going. But without Jesus, the Old Testament is it's a true story with lots of promises but no fulfillment. You can't imagine how God would make it happen. And so the eunuch didn't understand the Old Testament passage. He didn't have the key to unlock its meaning. How can I understand, he says, unless someone guides me? So Philip gets to ride the chariot. Must have been pretty exciting for a Jerusalem boy. But far, far better was what he was about to do. You see, not only was this eunuch reading the Old Testament, not only was he reading Isaiah, but he was reading one of the passages in Isaiah that spoke the most clearly about Jesus. Verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life was taken away. From the earth. That's a passage from what we know as Isaiah 53. A prophecy about someone whom Isaiah calls the servant. Someone who would suffer a terrible injustice, who would be slaughtered without protest, whose life would be cut short, taken away, with no offspring to carry on his name. Just give you a bookmark in Acts 8. I've got those little yellow bookmarks, the Bible is very helpful. Get the book back in Acts 8. 
And turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is on page 742. It's toward the end of Isaiah 52, although we'll actually go back even further in context to Isaiah 42. But keep on page 742. See, Isaiah 42, God had called his servant the chosen one, the one in whom he delights. Those are the words that were later echoed uh, to Jesus by God the Father. And in chapter 42, the, the servant would bring justice to the nations, and yet he would not do it by revolution. He would not raise his voice in the streets. And when you come to 49, the, Isaiah, the, the servant will not only bring back the preserved of Israel, he will also be a light for the nations. So God's salvation would reach the ends of the earth. And then here, the prophecy about the servant is picked up again. Chapter 52, verse 13. Have a look with me. Uh, the servant will be exalted and lifted high. And yet, verse 14, his appearance will be so marred beyond human semblance. It's a bit paradoxical, isn't it? Hard to understand by itself. Then 53 describes his servant further. In verse 2, he is, he is unattractive. He has no form or majesty that we should look on him. He would, verse 3, be despised, rejected by men. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But why? Well, verse 4 has a shocking revelation. He would, he would suffer and die for the sins of others. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, this servant, he would be the substitute for God's people under God's punishment. He would face the wrath that they deserve in their place. He would be excluded, cut off. So that his people would be included. And so... Even though he was innocent, he, he would not defend himself. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He would suffer and he would die. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation, who, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, though he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. See, this servant suffer and die. Why? As a guilt offering. As a sacrifice. And yet, paradoxically, this, this servant would see his offspring. He would see the products of his labor. Uh, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and she shall divide the spoil with the strong. 
because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered among transgressors. For the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see that? This servant would not only die for the sins of many, he would see life beyond the grave. He would justify many, make them not guilty, make them right before God. And God would make him great. He would lift him up because he was willing to go all the way down bear the sins of many to make intercession to pray for the transgressors and plead to God on their behalf and back to Acts 8 the eunuch says to Peter about whom I ask Acts 8 34 about whom I ask does the prophet say this it's about himself or it's about someone else it's a great question isn't it I wish someone would ask you that question. Now, if you're an Old Testament scholar, you'd have to recite all kinds of theories. Is it Israel? Is it the remnant of Israel? Is it Isaiah? Is it Jeremiah? But none of them really fit. God's answer is Jesus. In fact, God the Father had declared at the baptism of Jesus and again in his transfiguration by quoting his own words from Isaiah about the serpent and saying, This is him. Can't get clearer than that. And so, verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Jesus, he would have said. He is the one who fulfills this Old Testament promise. He is the one who meets all the prophetic expectation. He was the one who was unjustly condemned and yet did not protest. He's the one who died for our sins on the cross in our place. He's the one who took our punishment on himself, bore God's wrath on our behalf, so that we can be forgiven. We can be justified and declared not guilty before God, saved from eternal punishment, so that we who were excluded from God's presence because of sin could be included because of him. Jesus did it for us. As servant, he died for us in obedience to the Father. As servant, he was raised from the dead and exalted as, as Lord and King of all. And he sees his offspring, those who believe in him. He brings justice to the nations. His death and resurrection brings God's salvation to people from all over the world who will put their trust in him. So who's the prophet talking about? Peter says to you know, the prophet is talking about Jesus. One who just recently died and rose again in Jerusalem. It's already happened. And salvation is on offer for those who turn from sin and trust in Him. Forgiveness, the place in the kingdom, everyone who believes and comes to Him. That's the gospel message, that's the good news. And this Ethiopian eunuch hears the gospel and believes. And naturally, he wants to express that outwardly in baptism. And so, verse 36, As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Baptism is important, friends, isn't it? It's a biblical way of expressing our faith. It's the outward sign of the new life God gives us in Christ. It's a symbol of being 
part of God's people. As soon as he believed, the eunuch was baptized. Right? Those of us who believe ought to be baptized as well. It's not like you can't be saved unless you're baptized. A thief on the cross was saved without being baptized. You are saved by faith in Jesus, not uh, symbolic um, measures like baptism. But, but baptism is not an optional thing. It's not like an optional extra for the Christian. It's ordained by Christ. So when the eunuch believed, he was baptized in water. But then another surprising thing happened to Philip. All of a sudden, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God carried, or actually snatched, Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And don't ask me how God did that. Sounds like an you know, beam me up, spotty type thing. Right, but Philip disappeared. His work was done. He preached the gospel to the eunuch, led him to Christ, and that was why he was sent to the desert. And then God put him somewhere else, where he kept on doing what Philip does, telling people about Jesus. In verse 40, Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through the, and he passed, sorry, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. It's along the coast from, from, uh, from, the, from where that road was. Now, the eunuch must have been a little bit surprised when he looked up and, and uh, Philip's not there. But then uh, the God who arranged this meeting in the middle of the desert was a sovereign God of all and would have been quite capable of doing such a thing, wouldn't he? So the eunuch, now a believer, verse 39, went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing because he was no longer on the outside. He was in. See, sure, he was left out of the model. He was excluded from the assembly of Israel. But now he was given a place in the reality. Thing that the model had been pointing to. And in fact, that had been God's plan even from Old Testament days. Because as the eunuch kept on reading Isaiah, he would have come across a passage we had for our Old Testament reading, which was just three chapters later. And there we saw a promise. Promise made possible by the servants work beforehand. It said, Let not the foreigner who joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me for his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus is the Lord. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The Ethiopian eunuch, who was not allowed in the temple, would be given a place of honor in the new, real temple of God, in Jesus Christ himself. And eunuchs and everyone else who was excluded from the presence of God under the prototype physical model were no longer excluded when it came to the ultimate spiritual reality. It wasn't necessary. The model that pictured the reality was a physical model. Physical imperfections couldn't be part of it. But when Jesus died and rose again, he brought in the reality. The model was superseded. And the reality to which the model points is a spiritual reality. And the 
real imperfections that will stop anyone from being part of it are not physical imperfections, but spiritual ones. Sin stops us from being part of God's people. That's the real thing that stops us from approaching God. But for the repentant sinner, sin has been dealt with on the cross. As Philip told the eunuch, Jesus the servant has dealt with that. The servant has died to take our sin away so that nothing physical or spiritual can stop us anymore. We have access to the presence of God through Jesus. We can all be part of that great congregation of God's people in heaven through Him. We are living stones of the real temple, the true temple in which God lives by His Spirit. And God accepts everyone who comes to Him through Christ without discrimination. And if God does that, and so should we. You ever feel like you're not good enough for God? You think there's something about you that would make God not want to have you in His kingdom? You face some kind of problem that makes you feel different from everyone else? Maybe a physical thing like this unit? Maybe a psychological or mental health issue? Sometimes people with special problems or handicaps feel excluded, but God doesn't exclude us. If we trust in Jesus, God accepts us completely. And brothers and sisters, we need to accept each other completely too. Let me give you a couple of examples. Sometimes people with homosexual temptations feel or are made to feel like they're not accepted in some churches. It should not be. Homosexual behavior is wrong, just as wrong as any other sexual behavior outside marriage. Let's never say it's okay. Let's always help each other fight temptation. But people with homosexual temptations, who believe God's word, who are seeking to honor God by fighting the temptation to sin, they need to be loved and accepted and supported and cared for just as we ought to love and support and care for our heterosexual brothers and sisters who are seeking to honor God and fighting the temptation to sin. God doesn't exclude people with homosexual or heterosexual temptations. We mustn't either. I'll give you another completely different example about some people who find it hard to be accepted in churches nowadays. There are believers in our country, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who come from a Muslim background. Now supposing someone like that were to come into our congregation, how would we respond? We would welcome them with open arms, wouldn't we? They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. In some churches, they'll be asked not to come back because the church wants to be safe, avoid any hint of trouble. But friends, if God accepts these people, then so should we. If they trust in Jesus, if they receive him as Savior and King, they are our brothers and our sisters. And we cannot and we must not reject them. That, that would be unthinkable. It's against our religion. 
we may not be facing that situation right now, but, but one day we might be, and let's make up our minds beforehand to respond in a godly way. People need to be included, not excluded. Finally, let me speak to people here who are a little bit like the Ethiopian eunuch in terms of where we're up to in following Jesus. The eunuch was a thoughtful, God-fearing man. But until he knew Christ, the Bible didn't really make sense. When he met Philip, he was still not part of the people of God, not being accepted by him. Then he heard about Jesus, the suffering servant. How he died on the cross on his behalf, he rose from the dead, that he's Lord, and he calls us to follow him. And hearing that message, the eunuch believed. Put his trust in Jesus inwardly, expressed it outwardly, and went on his way rejoicing. And friends, we have heard about Jesus, the suffering servant. How he died on the cross on our behalf. How he rose from the dead. The fact that Jesus is Lord and he calls us to follow him. And hearing this message, will we too believe? We could leave here today rejoicing like the eunuch. Rejoicing that our sins are forgiven. That God has given us a place in heaven. They were completely accepted in Jesus Christ, included among his people. We will turn from sin and trust him as our Savior and our King. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has died on the cross for our sins and risen again. Thank you that through him you have brought in your, the reality of all the promises that were given and foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And thank you that now the reality has come, all those shadows have passed. And thank you that all of us, no matter what our background, no matter what we like, or what we've done, we've, we can be included through Jesus because of what he's done for us. And thank you so much for that. Our Father, we pray that each one of us here would, would be people who do eventually put our trust in Jesus, know him as our Savior and Lord, included among his people. And our Father, we pray that knowing your attitude, we would be of the same mind, that we would include those whom you love, that we would include those whom you sent to us, that we would not exclude people for whom Christ died and for whom 
and your spirit is at work. Father, we pray that you help us. We pray that you give us uh, the same mind as of Jesus. Thank you again for the acceptance that we have with you in him. In his name we pray. Amen.